It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. But do it. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. Yeah, with an effective characters, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. Hi, I'm James. The opinions are our own. We do not represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Dennis will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode two of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. All right, Dennis, thanks for sharing your story with us today. Uh, this is, uh, it's pretty exciting. Episode two, uh, I know in episode one, uh, we talked a little bit about how we met, uh, how the podcast is getting started and the, the main purpose of the podcast and telling a little bit about day one and uh, meeting one uh, for us in our recovery. But I kind of want to dive in more um, with you in particular in telling your story. And uh, for any newcomer curious about what a story is, it's essentially, uh, as you'll hear from Dennis, this is how uh, life was before maybe that first drink, the first drink and, and what it did to you. Um, you know, when you hit your, uh, you know, some people don't like the term bottom, but essentially when you realize that you had to make a change and then how that change was accomplished to get to where you are today. Uh, so Dennis, if you could start us off and thank you again so much for sharing this with us. Thanks for starting us out. Um, all right. I'm a little nervous. So warning on that, but, uh, my name is Dennis. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, hi Dennis, Dennis, <laughs> My uh, sobriety date is six six seventeen, and my home group is Celebrate the Morning in Celebration, Florida, at eight a.m. Uh, so where to start? Um, this like you mentioned first drink, so it's a good place to start for me. Um, my first drink was uh, I think I was about age fifteen. Um, I went over to a friend's house after school. And he had stolen a bottle of champagne from his stepdad or his uncle, whoever he lived with, his guardian, um, and asked if I wanted to drink it. So, you know, me being the cool kid that I am, I was like, of course I want to drink it. I, uh, I've drank before or whatever, which was a complete lie. I'd never drank before, but, you know, I wanted to be cool and fit in. Um, so we drank that uh, bottle of champagne um, then his, his, uh, uncle came home. And, uh, so obviously I had to go home. I, we didn't really get in trouble there or whatever, but I had to leave. I wasn't supposed to be there. So I went home drunk. Um, you know, I think I drank more liquor out of my parents, uh, liquor cabinet. Um, but I don't, I really don't remember cause I blacked out. Um, uh, eventually my parents came home from work and when they got home, they thought the ho- place has been, had been robbed because like it was completely trashed. It looked like a tornado went through there, you know, like we had, I had like knocked over stuff, broken stuff. Um, you know, uh, it was just chaos. 
and uh, they found me in my room, laying in my bed, uh, passed out. Um, they thought I was ODing on drugs because I had a little makeshift like pipe, like a pot pipe that was sitting on my floor or whatever that I had made out of like plumbing stuff or whatever. Um, so they thought I was ODing on drugs. They tried to like wake me up, ask me what was wrong, what was going on. And all I would say is, oh, I don't feel good. I, I'm whatever. I, everything's cool. I just don't feel good. Not really knowing, like, you're not conscious of like their perspective of what they walked into. Um, so they drugged me to the hospital to get drug tested and find out what was going on, if I was dying or whatnot. The whole time, like I barely remember it. I only remember flashes. But the whole time, I'm just like, no, nothing's wrong. I'm just sick. Everything's okay. So we middle, like middle of the night, we're there all night waiting in the waiting room. Finally, they take me back and and whatever. When the doctor finally comes out and tells them what was wrong, they were like, "Oh, he's just drunk." And then I got in trouble for being just drunk and not telling them and instead of being ODing on drugs, you know? And I, th I think, you know, that story is really like the prelude to my career in my drinking career. You know, I think that story alone, that, not, that day alone should have been enough for me to like, you know, wait, maybe something's not fun about any of this, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I continued to drink. I further got into other drugs, you know, smoking pot and hallucinogenics and all kinds of stuff. And I, I partied. Um, eventually, uh, about 15, at the end of the year, 15 sometime, I uh, ended up getting arrested for possession of drug or paraphernalia. Went to court, got outpatient, got a whole bunch of uh, positive drug tests for different things. And eventually I got sent to a residential rehab ordered by the judge. Uh, it was a four month program. I was there for nine months because I kept relapsing and I am, I have a rebellious nature. So my instinct is to naturally like rebel against authority if someone tells me to do something I don't do it if they say I can't do it I do it and that was my experience with my parents with school with uh with this rehab facility um eventually I got out of the rehab facility and went straight back into partying um because that's all it was for me like you know I'm a 16 year old kid 17 year old kid and I didn't get the severity of it necessarily. All I was doing was having fun, having a good time, you know, like partying. And I had a lot of fun. Um, so I did that for years, you know, and um, did pretty much every drug under the sun and drank a lot and a lot of alcohol. Um, in the course of that time, I did a lot of... Um, blacking out just like the first time that I drank did a lot of vomiting a lot of like just stuff but to me that was just normal that just was part of it you know like if you're gonna 
you know, binge drink, you're going to blackout. That's normal. I thought everyone did that. Um, you know, if you're going to drink a lot of alcohol, do a lot of drugs, you're going to throw up, you know, that's just normal. That's just life. Um, fast forward, you know, towards the age of like 27, I kind of had like this awakening, you know, I think prior to this, there would be like certain things that I would quit. Like, you know, I would do a lot of hallucinogenics and be like, oh, well, like this isn't good. Like I need to stop doing hallucinogenics, but then I'd switch to ecstasy or I'd switch to pot or cocaine or drink more alcohol. To me, it was like little things I was able to get, but around 27 or whatever, I kind of had this, um, miniature awakening in a way to where I was looking around, you know, working in a restaurant. I was working with kids that were like 17 or younger to people that were like 50 or older. And here I am in the middle at like 27, still drinking, still like going out to nightclubs and bars every single night. By this point, I was drinking every night and smoking pot and little bit of cocaine so I could drink more everything else I had pretty much given up but the realization that I had was that like you know I'm approaching 30 years old and everyone that I know that wasn't living this way was you know had these lives where they went to college and they started a career they they got married and got a wife or a husband and like are now starting to have kids and like this whole life was building on. And here I was sitting, you know, almost exact same 15 year old kid that I was when I started drinking, you know, I never went to college. I didn't, you know, I would have like long-term relationships with girls, but I wasn't married. I wasn't headed towards that. I wasn't thinking about kids. I wasn't thinking about like a life as an adult. I was still pretty much in that hedonistic party mentality or whatever so that kind of scared me in a way you know like if I continue to keep doing what I'm doing I'm gonna continue getting what I'm gonna get and uh you know right around this time I guess is where I where like my panic attacks started and I started having panic attacks and anxiety and stuff like that eventually to the point where like I you know, had trouble going into work anymore and stuff, you know, I would binge drink, you know, the night before drink till like four o'clock in the morning, go home and pass out, not really sleep, get up, not really eat anything and go back to work. And I did this for years. Eventually, like my health started deteriorating and I, you know, started my mental state and my physical health started deteriorating. So I didn't think of it as like, you know, drugs and alcohol were the problem or whatever. I thought like, oh, my God, what's going on? I didn't know. Um, So eventually, because of this in the state that I was in, I ended up moving back in with my parents up here in celebration. Prior to this, I was in Tampa. That's where I lived most of my life. Um, So I moved up in with my parents and stuff, and I actually never went back to a regular job. I, I, I started 
trying to pursue my dream career, you know, and uh, my to, you know, be a writer or whatever. And I started pursuing that living with my parents. I still had anxiety, still had depression and stuff like that. But I would still drink and smoke pot. I had managed to quit everything else. But as I continued to do this, like over the course of years, I wasn't drinking as much or anything like that. I thought I kind of had it under control. But things continued to get worse. You know, if I went out and I drank, my hangover, which when I was younger would last a night or a couple of hours in the morning, and I'd be off where like I'd be having hangovers that lasted like three days to a week. And uh, so after a little bit of this and really like seeing like, like, I'm like, something's not right. I need to quit doing this, you know? Um, so at this point I was under the mindset that like, you know, my life is the way it is because I drank and I drugged. And if I quit drinking and I quit smoking pot, then all of a sudden I'd be magically better like I'd uh you know be more motivated be more responsible be more enthusiastic about life I you know my mental state would balance out and everything like that so I basically tried to quit you know I quit smoking pot quit drinking I'd go a a couple months or whatever and then you know start to feel better and then I'd uh go back to it and it kind of like just started all over and I did that for a while um eventually I was able to get um like quit and stay quit for like a year and a half but things didn't get better for me they actually got worse like a lot worse my panic attacks intensified you know um to to the point where I pretty much had like agoraphobia, which is like a fear of living the leaving the house in a way. And it wasn't so much that I was afraid of leaving the house. I was afraid of having a panic attack. And then like my mental state, my spiritual state was in such bad condition that like I was in a constant element or like a constant default state of like anxiety, you know? Um, So, you know, as some examples, like if I would uh, get a, like have to go to the gas station or the grocery store, which is like a mile away from my house, I would have a panic attack going there. You know, if I had to like, like go visit family in Tampa, there were several times where like, I just couldn't do it. Like I would just freak out and panic and, and it was really debilitating. So it ended up being like, I guess the worst of the worst is where like, I was at a point where I couldn't get off the couch and I stayed on the couch. Like I wasn't eating, I wasn't showering, I wasn't anything. I was like completely ruined. Um, But in this, I didn't drink. And I, uh, so I went like, a year and a half kind of in this state afraid to go outside afraid to like do anything and like just in this living hell basically and to the point of like where I was uh, I was ultimately hopeless 
you know, I was like, oh my God, this is the state that I'm going to be in, you know, like quitting drinking didn't work. Although mind you, I was doing this alone, white knuckling it, you know, not able to talk to anyone about how I was feeling or any, I was very isolated and, um, and just dealing with this stuff alone and basically was hopeless, had no idea where, where to go for help, no idea what to do, what was even going on. So while this was going on, um, you know, there's a restaurant that was right next to my house, like literally like right next to it. We almost share the same building. And I would go downstairs to this restaurant every once in a while and get food or whatever, or get food from my parents who I still, I lived with. And um, I ended up meeting this guy who was the bartender there and I would go and get to go order and, ha- and have to sit at the bar while I'm waiting for the food to come in. So in the course of that, he would always be like, Hey, you want a beer? You want a drink? You want it? And I'd be like, no, no, I don't, I don't drink or whatever. Eventually he was like, you know, Dennis, um, like you never get a beer or a drink or anything. Do you not drink? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. I used to, but no, I don't really do that anymore. And he's like, oh, okay, me either. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he kind of, you know, let me know his, that he was in recovery. And, uh, and so over that, like, we kind of like got to know each other a little bit. Then um, all of a sudden, Pokemon Go came out. And, uh, you know, it's a little augmented reality game where you got to go outside and, and like hunt down uh, Pokemon and collect them all. So me being the, you know, good addict that I am, a good alcoholic, is that like I got hooked on this game where I, got, I have to catch all of these, these Pokemon. Well, the gentleman at the bar, who is now a good friend of mine, he started playing it at the same time that I did. So we bonded over that game and like hung out and like, I would leave the house a lot of times at night driving around like two miles an hour through the neighborhood in the car to catch all the Pokemon and and stuff. And in the course of us hanging out and bonding over that, you know, like I told him, I opened up a little bit, you know, where I was isolated and, and, dealing with everything myself, I opened up to him a little bit about what I was going through in my, my story and my past. He, he told me his story and like stuff that he's dealt with and stuff like that. Um, every once in a while, he'd be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to this meeting, you know, um, do you want to come with me? And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going. Like I had been exposed a little bit to like, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, you know, 12 step programs whenever I was in rehab as a kid. And, uh, and my preconceived notion, you know, of, of my contempt prior to investigation was that, you know, I quit drinking. I don't need alcoholics. Alcoholism, Alcoholics Anonymous is for like people that like aren't able to drink, you know, like, you know, that old stereotypes of like the homeless guy under the thing that's lost everything like needs to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and whatever so I didn't want anything to do with it but I wasn't completely close-minded to it I just didn't want to go um and you know like this 
this guy, my friend, he never like pressured me to go or said you should go or whatever. It was just every once in a while he would like, oh, I'm going. You want to go with me? You know? And then if I said no, it was cool. And then like we'd hang out any uh, different time, you know. Um, one day he called me up and he's like, hey, I'm going to this meeting. You want to go? And for some reason, I have no idea why I said yes. And so I went. And mind you, I, I'm still riddled with anxiety and like still have no idea what's going on. Not thinking my problems, alcoholism or drug addiction or anything like that. And so I, I just go more out of because my friend asked me to, I guess. I don't know. But I went. And when I went to that first meeting, I sat there, verge of a panic attack, and I listened to people. And they, they all, like, were talking and telling their stories and stuff like that. And, like, I could relate to it because they were sitting there talking about stuff that I was dealing with and stuff that I was going through that you know i thought i was the only one or i didn't understand why it was what was happening to me and stuff but these people were talking about it as if they've gone through it and like the big kicker for me was that they were all laughing about it they were all not like glum and depressed and hopeless like i was these people were like laughing and smiling and and could talk about it without it hurting them and they seem to be normal people that live normal lives in, in, in whatever. So that was really like eye opening for me, you know, and I, I, in my head, I thought like, wow, like these people seem to know what's going on. And if these people can laugh about it, maybe they know something that I don't know. So maybe I can get help here. And so it was like my first glimmer of hope in a very long time. And so I went back and I've gone back pretty much every day that I can, unless I have something that I have to do, I've gone back. And, you know, with, with this mindset and where I was coming from is completely hopeless, not able to leave my house, not able to do anything, not able to work or function as a human being to find this place that gave me hope, I thought like, well, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to come here and I'm going to do this, and if there's any chance that I can get some kind of recovery or serenity or be better than I, at least I am in this state, then I'd better do it. So I made myself the commitment that like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the program. If it doesn't work, then what do I have to lose? I'm already at, like at the fucking or I'm sorry for my cursing. I'm already at the bottom. You know, I'm already in a, a mental state where I have nowhere else to go. So I can always go back to that. So I got a sponsor. Um, with that sponsor, I've worked the steps um, and took up some service stuff. Like I started making coffee at the meeting. I did that for like over a year. I still do service stuff. Um, and in the process of like working the steps and working in the and working with my sponsor, um, I did start to recover. You know, um, I think like um, my sobriety date that I said at the beginning of this is is marks the day that I went into that meeting for the first time, rather than 
the day that I started white knuckling it. So I had a year and a half of not drinking before I came into the meeting. But I, I count that that first meeting is the first day that I had a hope that I could recover. And so from that sobriety day to today, I've recovered almost like almost made a 180 degree turn, you know, like where all the time prior to that, I was headed in one direction, going straight to hell. And I believe I reached a living hell. Then I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I, that day was the day I turned around and started walking in the right direction. So I still didn't, you know, when I started walking in that right direction, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to function or anything. I just knew that these people had done something. So if I do what they do, then I'm going to get what they have. So, you know, I worked the steps and I did that and it's gotten me to the point here, which is like two years and a couple of months later to where, you know, in the past year alone, I've been able to do things that I was not able to do, you know, which is, you know, from the outside, it might not look like much, but, you know, I remember like when I was riddled with that anxiety and stuff like that, I couldn't drive to Tampa to visit my family, you know, and over the last two years or so I've gone to Tampa like which is two hours away from me countless times you know so I've been able to like be a part of my nieces and nephews lives by going to the birthday parties and stuff like that where I couldn't before I was able to visit my grandmother when she was sick in the hospital multiple times and was able to be there when she passed away you know which if I would have missed that it would have haunted me for the rest of my life. You know, I've also uh, was able to do stuff that I'd never done in my career wise. You know, I, uh, in the past year, I filmed a short film and had it in a competition and won a small certificate for it. And I had help from friends and in uh, recovery and part of my fellowship, you know, my like really best friends helped me out with that, which before that I probably wouldn't have been able to find anyone to help me out doing some crazy idea that I had. Um, also, I was able to travel for the first time in my life, you know, uh, where two years ago I'd have a panic attack if I went a mile away from my house you know, like literally debilitating panic attack, can't move, freaking out to where I was able to get on an airplane and fly literally almost as far away from my home as I could get to Thailand and spent three weeks in Thailand in a foreign country in the middle of paradise. And, um, you know, I had a, a little bit of anxiety and stuff like that. Uh, before the plane took off and stuff. But one thing that my sponsor taught me about fear was um, you uh, like fear when you look at it, it's like, you know, three miles high and, and miles wide and it looks so huge and like 
and scary or whatever. But once you walk through it, you realize that it's only paper thin. And I can't, I remember like sitting on the airplane, remembering this and thinking about this, like it's only a mile high or it's a mile high, but it's paper thin. You know, you just walk through it and it'll be gone. And taking this trip really proved that to me. You know, like I was, I got on the airplane, I had the anxiety, I used the tools, the prayer, the meditation, and these little, these little antidotes that I, I heard a lot that helped me get through it. And then once I was through it, I was fine and was able to do something that I never thought I could have done, which is a miracle to me, you know, and there's a lot of little incidences like this, where it's um, these little, like, little moments of things of uh of things that i thought i couldn't do or things that i thought i shouldn't do or whatever and being able to get through it and then stay sober with it you know not having to drink because i'm scared or not having to run away from something because i'm scared or not having to like you know carry all of this stuff that i carry you know another smaller incident is i remember the one of the times I went out to eat with him, with my sponsor, we went and sat at a bar and it was a friend of ours who's in recovery, actually James to be exact, worked as a bartender. And we went and sat at the bar and I'm like, oh my God, we're sitting at a bar. And he's like, yeah, we're not drinking. And, uh, you know, so it's like my recovery is filled with a lot of little incidences like that of remembering or you know, coming to a realization that like, just because I'm not drinking doesn't mean that I can't live a life. And in fact, like, I've learned that I can live a much fuller, bigger life than I ever thought I could. And uh, it's amazing. You know, I feel like I'm still growing in this every day, really. Um, I think I'll end it with this little story where, uh, about six months into my program, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like my, my instinct is to rebel. You tell me to do this. I don't want to do it, whatever. And so of course my sponsor dealt with that, with this with when we were going through the steps and everything else, you know, I'd have to like try to rationalize, well, why do I, like, why do I need to do it this way? Why can't I do this way? Why do I have to do this? If this, this, and then whatever, eventually I, all right, I did it. Um, but uh, I remember like six months into my recovery, I had to go down to Tampa. And mind you, this is when I was still not fully comfortable with going down to Tampa. Um, but I had to go down there to do something with, with old friends of mine, friends of mine that I like hadn't talked to for a while, like, hadn't hung out with, haven't seen or whatever. And I told my sponsor about this and I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I really don't want to, you know, I ran away from that life. I, you know, I don't have anything against these people, but it's kind of like, I don't feel comfortable. I don't, whatever. But he said that I should go, that it would be good for me. And uh, so I did. And uh, what it was that I ended up going to was a memorial. And it was a memorial for a friend of mine. And the friend of mine was there when I first started drinking. He was there through most of my, like, drinking career and my drugging career. We partied together. We 
lived together at one point. Like we were like brothers. He was a very, very close friend of mine. We were the same age, everything. Um, you know, at, at some point in our lives, we started separating. You know, I kind of went off in this direction. I wanted to, you know, be better, get better, not do this stuff anymore and whatever. And he kind of continued doing what he was doing. And, you know, here I am at like 36, 37 years old uh at his at his uh funeral at his memorial service because he od'd on opiates um uh, pills like prescription pills and it really cemented you know any doubt that i had that maybe one day i could go back to drinking or like none of this was really that big of a deal Because, you know, when I get better and I'm good, I tend to forget things or whatever. But this experience, like going there, you know, being, you know, two years not drinking or drugging, but six years or six months in recovery and working a program. Here I am with a group of all my old friends that I grew up with, went through high school with and everything. And they're all like, still doing the same thing you know smoking pot out in the parking lot they're all drinking off their flask in their coats and stuff they even had a a photo album of our friend's life and you know I was a close friend of them so I'm in a lot of these photos and these are the like this photo album I'm flipping through it and these are all like photos that I didn't really know existed and they're all photos that like prevents me from ever running for like a political office you know like completely like drugs and alcohol in it half naked people in it like completely like weird and it was so surreal to me because I'm looking at the this photo album of everything that like we've lived through and done and most of them are just party pictures and all my friends are around like laughing making jokes of it drinking and everything meanwhile we're at our like friend's funeral you know, and that experience was so surreal to me. It cemented the idea that, like, no, like, I'm on the right path. You know, like, if I was going to continue doing what I was doing, this is where I was going to end up. And uh, so, you know, I came back from that experience. You know, I talked to my sponsor about it. I talked to friends about it and stuff and realized that, like, like, I'm in this, you know, um, that not only do I need to continue living this, this lifestyle, working this program and going to meetings and uh, doing the step works and being open about, you know, what's going on with me, the people that are close to me. But in this situation, in this lifestyle that I'm living is like, it's just as important for me to help other people you know what i'm saying like like realizing how real all of this stuff is and how real the consequences of our action our our lifestyle is that you know i'm in a situation as someone who 
lived like that and got got out of it and on my way of bettering my life and living differently is that I can help other people do that as well. You know, so it hurt me. It was saddening and, and very devastating to, to be at my friend's funeral who has lived the same way I did and, and was the same age as me to, to be there. And if I can in any way help other people not meet that same fate and maybe live a different way, you know, then I want to do that, you know, and I think that whole experience is what it cemented that for me, you know, I think that's part of the reason why I telling my story here now is that in telling my story and, 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 um, being open about what I've gone through that maybe someone else who has gone through something similar or relates to it some way might be able to find a way out from, of the area or the, you know, mental spiritual place that they're at. You know, it's the same reason why I go to rehabs and speak every once in a while. The reason I go to meetings like every day, multiple times a day, sometimes I think that's all I got right now, actually. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks Thanks, for letting me share it. Thanks, Dennis. With that story, um, there's a lot that I'm sure James and I can identify with. If if you don't mind, uh, James, if I can go first just to to pick pick apart the pieces that I can definitely relate to um, with that. And within uh, if you if you're listening, you've never been to a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Um, A lot of the uh, the open talks or the speaker meetings, depending on uh, where you are listening to this, they call them different things. But if there's time afterwards, they allow people to um, kind of respond and identify uh, basically what they relate with uh, that uh, Dennis, who just told his story, how like how how they maybe felt the same way. Uh, you know, some of us drink the same way. Some of us. Uh, you know, have the same emotions. And when you were talking about that anxiety, uh, Dennis, uh, I felt in, I refer to it almost like uh, the game Tetris, where every single day, you know, the, uh, the old Game Boy game, where the blocks are coming down and you try to clear the bottom row. And then they move faster and the music speeds up. And every day it felt like a game of Tetris, where at the end of it, it's like everything pile on top of me and I can't handle it. And yeah. if I had an opportunity to, then I would have a drink and it would knock off a couple of rows. Yeah. You know, and the next day, the thing is, I would start and it wouldn't be an empty screen. It would be only it would be half full already. So I had less and less. And it was years of that where that anxiety felt crushing. And when I came into the rooms, I was able to see that actually like the stuff on there and that game of Tetris, none of it really mattered, you know, like it was, it was in my head and I was able to kind of separate that out in the, the statement that you made about uh, do what they do and get what they have as far as coming into the rooms and probably how you met up with your, your sponsor and your friend, um, you know, that took you to your first meeting after you already knew that they existed for quite some time. There had to be something that you, you saw, even if it was subconscious 
that yeah. you realize that, hey, maybe that's something for me. And I think that's um, what a lot of us do when we find our sponsor. Um, you know, as as you'll find out, James and I currently have the same sponsor. Um, and I think that's a little bit of the bond that it's it's almost like we're brothers, you know, like a sponsor doesn't have to be the fatherly role, but it's a guidance role uh, spiritually uh, specifically, I know for me, it's something I need in my, in my program, but really wanting what someone else has, I think is important. So that way you grow, um, you know, and that's how, how this thing really works. And, and just in closing, uh, identifying when you were talking about all the things that were coming true, being, um, there for your family, when I think you said your, your grandmother passed away, mm-hmm. um, you know, that stuff is so important. And uh, if you're new in the, the program, the promise is essentially once you do the steps and uh, you kind of take some of these suggestions that are, are set in AA, there are things that uh, should be easier to deal with in life. You know, some of that anxiety being some of it, uh, the isolation going away uh, and fear. And um, it's really important. I mean, a lot of a lot of us. Uh, you know, drinking and an alcoholic and being an alcoholic um, is a very selfish thing. And one of the only ways to get out of yourself is by being there for somebody else. And I know uh, I wasn't able to do that uh, before getting sober uh, and still have to work on it every single day. Um, but I'm appreciative that uh, to call you, you, my friend, and to be able to kind of uh, see how you use your program and, and implement some of those uh, things in my life too. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Dennis. Appreciate it. You're welcome. James, you have anything to uh, identify with today? Yes. Thank you, Mike. And, and thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate you, you telling your story. Um, I, was able, I was able to uh, identify quite a lot. Um, you know, I have known you for a couple of years. I've heard your story a few times and, Every time I hear it, I'm amazed by how similar it is, but yet different. Um, you know, I too started um, drinking about 15 years. Uh, I think a lot of people do. You know, you're you're in high school, and it's the cool thing to do. And um, after that, it's quickly right into other drugs because, heck, if you're out partying and drinking all weekend, why not do everything else that everyone's doing? Um, another thing that was amazing is, uh, you said you were arrested for paraphernalia. I too was arrested for paraphernalia, um, at the age of 17. And I remember my mom showing up and she was just crying. She just didn't, she was like, what happened to my baby? And just the look in her eyes, you think that would have been enough to stop, but I got, um, I got a bunch of community service. I uh, didn't even have anything to do with seeing the inside of an AA room for years after that. I just had community service. So, you know, people take different paths, I suppose. Um, I, I really appreciated how um, you were able to talk about fear and, and walking through the fear. Um, I really enjoyed what you said about it being uh, a mile high and a mile wide. And then it's only 
paper thin because for me, I didn't have a lot of resentments, but I certainly had a lot of fear. I still have some fear, but it's been so much better since I've been able to walk through it step by step with the help of uh, friends, fellowship, and and my sponsor, uh, loved ones who have been there holding my hand through all the messy times. Um, the last thing I'll say is um, when it was when it was time, we might have this spiritual push because you said that your friend asked you if you wanted to go to a meeting, and you said yes, and you don't even know why or anything. You just know you went. The, yeah. The same thing happened for me. I was with my my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife. Uh, we had just gotten out of work, and she looked at me. And we usually always went, and we, we got our alcohol. We would go and just do whatever. And she looked at me, and she, she must have saw like a defeated James because she said, do you want to go to a meeting? And I looked at her and my, my heart just sank. And I was like, yes. And I had planted the seed of AA in her <laughs> pretty much when I first met her. Cause I was like, Oh, she's like me. But, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't, there, there was no promotion, you know, cause I knew it was attraction, not promotion. So, um, you know, we were out drinking for five years before we finally came in, but it was her who said, do you want to go to a meeting? And I was just like, yes. And that was the, the, that was June 2nd, 2017. You know, that was four days before you came in. Uh, I was living in West Palm beach and you were here in celebration. So I, I just think mm-hmm. that's so remarkable how it happened kind of the same way and so close together. It's like we were in this, uh, spiritual wave together and we were taking it to shore <laughs> so thank yeah. you thank you so much dennis you know it's always good to hear you you're, you're a light and in, in my darkness sometimes and i really appreciate you talking with me well thank you i could say the same about you thank you guys and uh th- yeah thank you dennis for your uh your time and sharing your story uh as we we say the Experience, strength, and hope is is definitely out there. And uh, if you can identify uh, with the story, please please take take what you heard, and uh, you know, hopefully, it, uh, some of those tools that Dennis used uh, work for you. We will be back next week. Uh, it looks like uh, on the docket, I am uh, slated to share my experience, strength, and hope uh, with you on episode nice. three. Um, you know, I uh, I did send you guys some popcorn, so you can feel free to. You know, nibble away on that um, for the next time. Sorry, I sorry I didn't bring refreshments this time around <laughs> for it. I was expecting coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coffee would be good. We'll uh, we'll work on that in the future. In closing, we're entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember to focus on progress, not perfection. We'll see you next time for the Defective Characters Podcast.